Hello, welcome to the official ABC Once Upon a Time podcast discussing Tallahassee. And this week, we have a sneak peek into Emma's history. I'm your host, Estelle McGecky, and you'll be listening to creators and executive producers of Once, Adam Horowitz and Eddie Kitsis. Hi, guys. Hey. Hi, everyone. Now we know where Emma got the car. Have you been looking forward to revealing Emma's backstory? Sure. I mean, I think that since, you know, we started season one, we'd been looking forward to being able to show a little bit of a taste of where she came from and what happened to her on this journey that took her to Storybrooke eventually. Yeah, and I think, you know, what's interesting for us was that you see an Emma who starts out stealing a car and we know her background. We know she grew up pretty much on her own. And yet here was the time we wanted to show her where she actually fell in love and had her heart broken. And what we think is great is, yes, she looks youthful and young and innocent in the beginning, but she's stealing a car with some great knowledge. But as you move through the episode, you really see her letting her guard down for in a time that we haven't seen her do it with anyone but Henry. And I think that's what's so interesting. And Neil Cassidy's also an interesting character. I feel like you immediately fall in love with him when he covers for her with the traffic cop. Yeah, no, there's an immediate spark and a bond between those two, which made the end of the story all the more heartbreaking for us. You know, I think what's great is that in the beginning he's covering for her, which is great, but then of course we realize it's because the car was stolen. But yet it was enough for him to charm Emma. My favorite thing is when he looks up and he just says, you could have just asked for the keys. This is a very sweet moment. They actually do make quite a little thieving team, both of them. And with that sweetness, there's also a double-edged sword. You know, he is encouraging her in this whole life of crime. You know, I think it's less crime because as we saw in the beginning, she was stealing a car. He didn't bring her into anything. But what it is for us is two people against the world. And the hand Emma was dealt made her an orphan and homeless. And this is how she's surviving. And for us, one of the great moments is when they're in that hotel room and he says, we could get jobs in an apartment. And you realize their dream is very small. Their dream is to just get what most people have. And for us, that was what was so heartbreaking. They didn't want to steal. They didn't want to do any of this. But because they had spent their entire lives both doing this, they didn't know another way. And he seems like more of an opportunist than, you know, a hardened criminal. Yeah, I think that's right. I think they're not criminals for the sake of wanting to hurt people. They're criminals in that they're stealing food for dinner. They're breaking into a hotel room so they can use a shower. And he is an opportunist. They're both victims of circumstance who have made some bad choices, but they're not trying to really harm anyone. They're really just trying to get by and survive. And when Neil and Emma are discussing leaving town, Neil genuinely wants to protect her. Yeah. Yeah. I think what's great is you realize how much he loves her and that he is willing to give up on the dream of Tallahassee because if he at any point thought he would risk her life, it's not worth it to him. And for us, you know, when Emma blurts out and says, I love you, what we, that was the first time she's ever said that to anybody. It is Emma, though, who hashes out the plan to retrieve the watches from the locker. Yeah, because, you know, they're holding on to that dream of Tallahassee. They're holding on to it. Emma, as we said in that scene, it's the first time she's ever said to anybody in her life, I love you. She doesn't want to give up without a fight. Neil says to her, you want to steal the watches to help me get away with stealing the watches. Yeah. And I thought that that was quite an insightful thing he's, to say. He's, you know, like Emma, he's a guy who's got issues with love. They've both been looking for it, and he's realizing she really loves him, and she re- and realizes how far she'll go for him, and it touches him. 
and it makes him bet on the chance that maybe they can get this crazy dream of going to Tallahassee and have a happy life together. It was funny because right before we shot this, we sat down with Michael Raymond James and he brought up this scene and he was like, no, there's no way I'm letting her do this. There's absolutely no way I would let her do this. And we said, right, exactly. That's why she's gonna have to earn it in the scene. So when Jennifer Morrison says, I love you, and then he says that line, you realize in that moment, like that's what's so great about these two actors is she really convinces him and wraps him up. He, in the previous scene, wrapped her up in his dreams. And in this one, she's basically saying to him, I can do this, you have to believe in me, and he does. And what did Neil see in August's typewriter case? Well, why would we tell you that? Well, uh, <laughs> let me think. That is a giant, huge spoiler that people will have to keep watching every week, but we can tell you it will be answered by the end of this year. Yeah, there's no accident that we didn't show it, but there's an answer to that, and we're very excited to reveal it. The question I have, Adam, ends. is what could he possibly see in there? What would August possibly know that would make him give up on the woman he loves? It's got to be something. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Even after two months, Neil still can't move on. Yeah. He asks August to look after her. He obviously loves her deeply. Yes. And was so torn about having to make that decision. Well, the interesting thing for me is he says, send me a postcard. Hopefully that will answer the mystery of who sent that postcard. Secondly, it's very hard to find someone you truly love. And when you do, it's very hard to let go, even if it's for their own good. And I think he's clinging on to a sense of maybe someday we can be together. Maybe something will change. And I think that's what makes it so honest. When he got that postcard we only caught a glimpse of his life in New York what's going on with him there what he's doing and what's happening is all stuff that still remains to be revealed and that is also something we intend to reveal sooner rather than later I can only guess that he's probably got a regular job you can guess you never know he could be a bond trader he could be a left fielder for the Yankees he could be a con man he could be a model hopefully he was listening to your podcast though that we know. We saw he had an iPod. We also find out who Henry's father is, and it's awful that she's alone and pregnant in jail. It seems like there will be a really long road for her. I think there'll be a really long road for him to try and get her to understand what he did, and the only person that can let her know is August, who right now is in the wind and is completely wooden. And the other interesting thing, I think, in that whole thing is she got the keys, but the money was gone, and we realize if you go back and look at the way August looks at that money and talks about he's not good at resisting temptation, we realize how he got to Thailand and how he afforded his little lost island getaway. She did seem to have a little glimmer of hope when she looked at the keychain though. She realized that that was from Neil. I'm not sure if you could say, I like that you said it's glimmer of hope. I think it's an interpretation. For me, there was a sense of there was no way to contact him and we understand in that moment what she was really thinking about, which was the child. I love that because that's when she first learned about Henry. And I think what's also interesting is if you look at that keychain and you go back and look at all the episodes of Emma, you'll realize as much as she says she's over that guy and she doesn't like him, for some reason she wears that around her neck. And as we learned last season, she spent a lot of time in Tallahassee. So after she got out, safe to say she went there 
and she was probably looking for him. What Adam was referring to was last year in episode 104 where Regina sits down at Granny's where Emma's drinking cocoa and says, you move around a lot. The only place you ever stayed was Tallahassee. What did you like so much about it? And Emma gives her a snarky response. It's fun now to a year later be able to say, aha, it was about Neil. And jumping to present day fairy tale land, when Hook and Emma are climbing the beanstalk, Hook is annoyingly persistent in his constant probing questions. Yeah. It's like, just climb the stalk, stop asking me questions, is what I interpret her as saying when she gives him all those looks. He seems to know all the right buttons to push, though. He does, and I think that's what annoys her, and I think that's what intrigues her, and I think that's what reminds her of Neil. And when Emma asks Hook about his tattoo of Mila, he completely shuts down and, and even physically backs away from her. Do you think that she found his equal sore point? I do. I think that what's interesting was he was very interested in saying, what about you, what about you? But like most people, they don't want to talk about themselves. And Hook says, for someone who's never been in love before, you're quite perceptive, aren't you? And Emma does admit that she may have been in love. Why reveal this now? Because Emma is on a journey in the episode of coming very close to trusting Hook. And as the two of them grow close in the episode, it's her toying with, can she open up and really trust this guy? And right when she gets to the point where maybe she should, maybe she shouldn't, it's debatable, she makes the choice to shut down and not trust him. And we see in the past how she was burned by Neil and see how that instinct got born in her. I think that moment is really the one that made her realize she had to leave him up there. Because the fact that she would confide in him, that made her realize, I don't like where this is going. And the last time I tried to trust someone, I got burned. And right now I've got Mary Margaret and I've got Henry and that's enough. When Emma and Hook are planning to sleep bomb the giant's head, Hook says, you big git. Well, git is a Brit Aussie term. So do Americans really understand what that means? I think they'll get the gist of it from his tone. I think that Colin's performance is fun and you get what's going on between all of them there. But I will say that, of course, he's English, Captain Hook, and we wanted to use a phrase that we felt was distinctly English, but we were not 100% sure we were using it correctly, so we emailed Josh Dallas, uh, who had spent a long time in London doing theater, to make sure we did it correctly, and we didn't want Brits on our show to know that we may or may not have known that word. It was perfect. Yes, thank you. Hook is actually quite courageous when he's taunting the giant, and it seems like his first plan didn't quite work. You know, he was supposed to lure him in a particular direction, and then he completely changes tactic. They had underestimated the size and ferociousness of the giant, and their plan wasn't quite working, but we see Hook improvise and be brave and draw him out, and we see Emma be able to kind of roll with it as well and be able to stop the giant, and it's at that point where we really see that these two work well together and they make a good team. Yeah, and that to me is the parallel of Emma Neil in the convenience store when the person is about to tell on Neil for stealing and Emma pretends she's in labor. And you know, I think that good pirates know how to improvise. He thinks she'd make a good pirate. I think she would. I think she would too. Yeah. After the giant falls asleep, Hook says to Emma, try something new, it's called trust. When we met Emma, she didn't trust anyone, including the 10-year-old. The first thing she said was, I don't have a son. 
and she didn't trust Regina's answer, so she stayed in town. And all last year, season one, she didn't trust anybody, and then she let Mary Margaret in, and then she let Henry in, and then when she realized she let them in, she freaked out and said, I don't want to be savior, I want to leave. And I think that Neil is a reminder of the time she trusted someone and was burned, but I think even bigger than that was the fact that Emma was abandoned as a child and felt like she grew up without love. And because she grew up without love, she always had to rely on herself. Can you talk about casting Jorge as the giant? Well, we have a history of working with him. After six seasons of Lost, we love the guy, you know, more than, you know, we could say. And we were just dying to find the opportunity to bring him on this show. And we were just thrilled that he agreed to do it. Yeah, I mean, we always wanted him to play this role. We'd been talking about it since season one, but we just didn't have an opportunity last year to get to the Beanstalk. And once we realized we were gonna have a season two, we were like, let's save it. And we're glad we did. We wrote so many of his episodes on Lost that it's just, it's an honor and a pleasure again to get to write for him. And Jennifer Morrison's also fantastic in the scene when the giant's squeezing her and her expressions are priceless. That's her gift. She's such a great actress. And the thing that I love that she does is she takes the ridiculousness of this show and her reactions are so honest and real that it makes the ridiculous seem real. So last year, one of my favorite things in the finale was just the way she reacted to seeing a dragon for the first time, because it felt exactly how I would react to seeing a dragon, and then it makes you go, wow, there must really be a dragon. And that's, I think, what's so great about Emma is, yes, she's taking us through the rabbit hole, but she's also one of us. She's letting us know this is crazy. And when the giant is talking to Emma and she says, you know, I know you're kind, they massacred us and destroyed our beans, it's interesting that the giant changes her perspective. Well, I think that Emma heard one version of the story and then she hears it from the giant. And Emma, she's good with people and she's got that superpower, that ability to look and see, for the most part, who's being truthful with her. And she believed the giant and she saw the real pain in him and she could recognize in him pain she's felt in herself and that I think allowed her to believe what he was saying was true. He says, I have no one. Yeah, and Emma spent a long time having no one before Neil and after Neil and up until she came to Storybrooke with Henry. Yeah, if anything, I would say in the entire episode, the person she has the most kindred spirit to herself is the giant. Well, they make the deal in the end too. Yeah. And the exchange that they have where the giant says that's because Victor gets to tell the story, I thought was just a wonderful change in how we were looking at it. Later, when he's trapped, he says to her, I'm not the bad guy here. It was actually really interesting, you know, we think about the giant as always being the bad guy, mm -hmm. and yet she's the one with the poison sword, yeah. and he was right. And I think that changed, as far as my interpretation when I was watching it, that really changed her reaction to what was happening. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, we're all told lots of stories and sometimes they're true and sometimes they're not. He also mentions when she asks him about the bean around his neck and he says, I wear it as a reminder that you're all killers. Yeah. And then she makes the deal with him after that. Well, they both have necklaces that remind him of times they were betrayed. So there is certainly some similarities between the two of them. After making the deal with him, Emma detains Hook. Does Hook remind her of Neil? Like, is it a direct comparison? Is that why she locked him? Up. Yeah, I think Hook reminds her of Neil in the sense that it reminds her of a time where there was a really charming, roguish person that came into her life and broke her heart. Now, do I think she thinks, oh my God, I'm falling in love with this guy? No, 
But I think she realizes this guy may be saying one thing to me now, but he's a pirate and I need to get home to Henry and I'm not going to ever risk being screwed over again. So it's a lot safer to keep him up here, steal the compass and pull one over on him just in case he might do it to me. And I think that kind of shows the level of scars that need to heal for her. And she doesn't end up chopping down the beanstalk. No. No. She could have. She could have. But she does not. She could have just left him up there to die too. She didn't have to make a deal. So she's not a killer. And down at the bottom of the stalk, Emma knew that she couldn't trust Snow to cut down the stalk, but Mulan kept her word. She started cutting. Yeah, I think that Emma realized that, you know, if she asked her mother to do it, the mother would never, ever, ever, ever cut that down and leave her up there. But she knew that the most important thing, no matter what, was for somebody to get back to Henry. And so if it wasn't going to be her, she was willing to let it be her mom. But somebody had to do the tough thing of leaving her up there. And Mulan is perfect for that. She's a good soldier. We have a Twitter and Facebook question for you this week. Caitlin Rizika from Facebook wanted to know more about the sleeping curse. She asks, Snow talks about the sleeping curse side effects and we learn that Henry is also having bad dreams. Are they all having the same dream? And is this another world? That's an excellent question. And very perceptive. And very perceptive. And it's a question that's going to be answered very shortly on the show. But we will say that being under a sleeping curse has certain effects. And what they are is more than a dream. But you're on to something, Caitlin. And Candace from Twitter, C Songbird is her handle. What relationship or storyline are you most excited to develop? It's hard to say because, you know, you fall in in love with each character in each storyline. In the best world, the episode you're doing now is your favorite because you're continually trying to top yourself. I'm very excited to find out more about Henry's dad and what he's doing in New York. I'm excited to see Emma's reaction. I'm excited to see what will happen if Emma sees Hook again. I'm excited to see Snow and Aurora develop this weird friendship of two princesses who are in their sleeping curse. You know, it's so hard for me and that the same respect, I wanna see that flashback. I wanna see what happened to the giant's home. I would say that it's not any single relationship or character that I'm looking forward to. It's more about how they all interplay with each other in kind of the larger story we're trying to tell. And we're very excited about what we have in store coming up. And, you know, hope others share that enthusiasm. Eddie and Adam, thank you so much. Thank Thank you, you. Wonsers. Thank you to all of our subscribers. We're so grateful that you've joined us. If you'd like to be part of our next session, please add your question to our podcast post on the Once Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash onceabc, or tweet me your question at Estelle underscore MCG. Please join Eddie and Adam next week and tune in to Once Upon a Time Sundays, 8, 7 central on ABC and available the following day at abc.com. Thank you so much for listening.